If there is anything that I think I hold on to is trying to do as much as I possibly can to let my creativity just be and to be in that space without external worries and without external you know judgment of what everyone else is doing and it takes active effort to remind yourself to do that but I think when you can be in that place is where you find whatever success looks like for you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and today's guest is Ginny J, entrepreneur, photographer, videographer, educator, coach, and many other things. The last several episodes, we've talked to a lot of great photographers, filmmakers, and YouTubers, and Ginny is absolutely a very skilled creative, but in this interview specifically, we talk a lot about business, how to run your business, how to find people to hire to make you a more efficient creative. We learn about some of the obstacles that Jenny has faced over her career as a creative entrepreneur. I want to remind you guys again to please subscribe to our new YouTube channel. We've linked it in the show notes below. Please subscribe if you're a fan of the Golden Hour podcast. All right, without any further ado, let's listen into my conversation with Jenny J. So here we are uh, with Jenny J all the way out in Toronto. Uh, thank you so much for Jenny being on the golden hour podcast today amazing filmmaker creator storyteller activist thank you so much for having me (laughs) yes thanks for being here got an email from somebody that works for you that was like hey jenny would be great for your show and i said let me see and i looked at your account and i was like yes she would be let's do it and many emails later here we are a whole year has changed a lot has happened Mm -hmm. in the last three months um but man yeah we're happy to have you thanks for being here I'm, I'm super, super happy to be here. So I'm really excited to have this conversation. <laughs> Heck yeah. So we were, we were chatting a little bit before this interview here, but uh, you have built a successful six-figure income business uh, doing um, commercial projects, freelance stuff. I'm not fully sure what all you do in that space, but tell me exactly what your business is. And I'd love to get into the details of how you actually created that business because um, there's a lot of people listening who would love to be in your shoes. So tell me about it. Well, hearing you say that out loud, I think every single time I hear it first and foremost, I'm like, wow, you really did that. Because let me tell you, as a newbie freelance photographer, <laughs> when I when I look back at the things I was charging and how I was operating, it was, it was just, I did not think this could be an end result. Um, But so in terms of the work that I do, I am a photographer and a videographer and I like base my work in creating a lot of brand content for different entrepreneurs, small businesses, growing businesses. Um, And also as the years have changed, parts of how I do that has also changed because media has changed, right? We start seeing ads um, on Instagram, on Facebook, and they're created differently. So I do a lot of that work for a lot of different brands. Um, A lot of them happen to be women-owned businesses, which is really amazing and like super in alignment with like who I am and what I love to create for. Um, To other bigger companies, um, including like my alma mater, my university, and just being able to really work with their marketing teams to create that kind of stuff that feels real and feels good, but also it's just good quality content. Yeah. 
at what point like what was there a point for you as a freelancer just as a creator like that you realized i can start either charging more and you know saying no to certain jobs or saying yes to the ones that i want like how are you able to actually do the projects that you're passionate about like you said there i think that takes time um and it takes a mixture of two things number one it takes uh financial stability and to be able to be in that position like you need to have the ability to say okay like now i'm at a place where i get to choose um for me that took four years it took four years because until then i was saying yes to anything and everything that showed up i think at my doorstep um And until I got to that point where I could really feel confident and also know that even if I said no to this project, another client, another person would be there who would show up, who would want to work with me and to to be able to do that, not from a place of fear. And I think that's really hard because when you're starting out as a freelancer, like you are actually in that scarcity mindset because you're told like there's so many creatives, there's so many photographers, there's so many filmmakers, like you have to really stand out, like it's a cutthroat industry. So you have to really work on being able to find yourself in that position and also in the mindset to be able to do that. So I don't know, it took a minute for me. I'm not saying that it was an easy process, but um, when I was finally able to, I think that's where having the trust that, you know, my work is good, my values are good, my work speaks for itself. And you can also start to tell like the more recommendations you have based on word of mouth, obviously you're doing something right, right? So So basically what you're saying is it took you four years to really to of grinding to get to that point where you could be a little more selective with your work and i think that's important for people to uh to remember that you you don't just go straight out of the gate doing exactly what you want to do it it does take time it takes experience um what was that journey like in those four years where you were saying yes to everything um (laughs) number one it was a little exhausting um but at the same time it was incredibly rewarding and i think what i'm really grateful for is really early on in my journey as an entrepreneur and also you know freelance creating is I don't know where I heard it, but I know that I heard it somewhere and I held on really, really hard to this idea that it takes seven years to build a business. And so when I heard that, I was like, okay, seven years, like I can work with this. And until I hit the seven year mark, um, when I hit the seven year mark, if something is still not working, then obviously I might really need to reevaluate. But until then, I need to keep working. I need to keep trusting and keep on working off of the growth that I do see happening. And so I held on so tight to that. Um, Next year will actually be uh, seven years. So I think I'm pretty well on my way. Um, Yeah, and I think that that was a big part because some days it does get really hard. And even when COVID first hit, I like when COVID first hit, I didn't have a single additional stream of revenue. So, um, like I was able to put out a course teaching people how to, you know, use video, especially because that was happening um, and a lot of people needed that in Mar- May and June. But even before then, all of my, my entire income and my income for both myself and my partner was just creating and doing this work. And and so like there it's it's not always been easy and I don't think it ever will always be fully easy, but 
it is about looking at almost like the data of what you have done, what's working, and then also holding on to, okay, if I keep on doing this and, and keep on growing, then it can only become better. I know for me as a freelance shooter back in the day when I was doing that about, you know, I, I was, I started 12 years ago and then I became a content creator about three years ago. But, um, there was a point for me where I was like, I realized you kind of have to present yourself as this direct for me. It was a director. I wanted to do to direct stuff, but I, I shot edited and did everything. I produced everything, but I started calling myself a director and it, it was interesting how clients and people started treating me differently in my website. My branding was all about Dave, the director for you. You've got this great, um, you, you call it the, the double J collective. Was there a point in your journey where you kind of had that realization it's like i need to take myself seriously and like build an actual brand around this business Be- otherwise it's just it's just jenny you just hire jenny to shoot your your video like uh, how did you yeah. come up with the whole branding element of your business well it's actually really funny so the double j collective my name is jenny j um so the double j came from like jenny j and the collective was i have or had still have the problem that i think a lot of creatives have where i'm so multi-passionate there are some days when i'm so into film and i'm so into documentary filmmaking styles and like just being really immersed in that there are other days when i just want to be a photographer um and so the actual accumulation of the name and where it started was this is the collective of the creative endeavors of who i am but i just knew i wanted it to be bigger than just me which is where that started and almost started before i even knew what the end result would look like but where i started to really take myself seriously and see other people take it seriously was when I also started thinking about, you know, if it is beyond me, if I do want to grow it as a business, what do I need to do? How do I need to present myself? And I think from from freelancing and doing small gigs for clients um, where you're just a photographer, you're just, you know, shooting this video versus actually treating it like a business. If you never actually went to school for any of these things, like you also don't get taught like the business side of stuff, right? And how much that branding and that feel and how you present what you're serving your clients, how much that actually makes a huge impact in how people, you know, experience the quality of your work. And it could be, you could be, the most incredible cinematic filmmaker, but if you don't have that in place, people might not necessarily even know how talented you are because they're just looking for, you know, that outward, here's the experience, you know, here's how I'll hold your hand through this process or, um, you know, here's what I'll do for you. Mm. Are you from Toronto? Like born and raised? Yeah, born and raised. What's the, what's the kind of like film and video photography space like out there? Uh, extremely competitive. I was terrified. (laughs) Um, Ooh, I, when I, so I went to university, um, three hours away from, uh, Toronto. Um, even though I was born and raised, I went in like London, Ontario, Canada's London. And when I was in London, Ontario, even though it's like a pretty big city, it still felt like a safer, you know, fishbowl to be in. (laughs) than being in Toronto because you know Toronto is where even the stuff that's 
like made for America, like a lot of it is filmed and created and produced here in Toronto because it's cheaper. And so there are so many more creators that are really trying to make a name for themselves in the city. So even when I moved back and I was like, okay, like I'm going to do this and this is a city, like I'm going to make a name for myself here. It was definitely extremely intimidating in the beginning. What were some of those obstacles that you had to overcome with that intimidation and how did you do it? I think the biggest thing that I'm so glad that I did is I actually actively did not follow other creatives in the city. Like unless you were my friend and I really like knew who you were, I did not want to look at what anyone else was doing because when we look at like what everyone else is doing there's such a huge feeling of inadequacy and you know oh like I don't shoot like that person and I think it's like such a like almost suck of our creativity and it is one thing to find people who inspire you to try new things but um if it gets into that comparison rabbit hole I was like no, I can't, I can't see it. I got to create my own, like my own brand, my own way of creating and continue learning when I choose to learn, like whether it's online, whether it's through YouTube, whether it's through courses. But um, I think that was like one of the biggest things because when I was seeing what everyone else in the city was doing, I was just, I was overwhelmed and I was like, I was scared. It's a huge industry. Yeah, it, it is. It's overwhelming too, to think, especially when you're first starting out and you just see, it's it's fun when you get into it because it's like there's so much opportunity in front of you but it can be really overwhelming because there's so many avenues you could take you could you could shoot weddings you could shoot documentaries you could do corporate videos you could do only photography i mean i i can't imagine for you kind of being a hybrid of both i'm only in the video space so the photography aspect was never even a question for me for you as kind of a hybrid photo video i mean which one do you lean more towards uh, you've called yourself a photographer a couple of times so i'm assuming maybe that is your first love photography but you do both so how do you balance the, those two skills i actually realized that no matter what whether it's photography or videography i personally really love it if i'm able to tell a story and there's some kind of photography and videography where um I'm not necessarily drawn to so family photos like it's harder for me to find a really strong story to tell in just you know the the family portraits that people just want for their families so when I started like realizing that and asking myself like you know am I getting excited about the story that I'm going to tell through these images or through these videos that's where I was able to find out okay this is the kind of work I want to do what's your strategy when it comes to social media I mean you have a very active Instagram account um, mm-hmm. have you played around with YouTube TikTok, like all these other avenues and how how would you recommend um, people listening who do what you do in the commercial space to to utilize social media to effectively you know help them grow their business the biggest shift that i found in terms of also ultimately getting paid because to me social media is if you're not using it to leverage who you are and getting yourself paid then it can be a distraction um, so as a business owner, the <laughs> yeah, biggest thing the least, that I, for sure. yeah, um, so the biggest thing that I actually noticed is in 2017, I think, um, I did a year of shameless and it was inspired by shameless Maya, this YouTuber, um, don't know if you know her, she's pretty amazing. 
Um, and I decided that I would actively tell people on Facebook at the time um, everything I was doing, every single accomplishment, every photo like gig that I would do, I would share it. And I didn't share it in terms of here's the content that I made, but I also actively at the same time made the decision to be the face of this is me holding my cameras or using my gear, doing the work that I do. And the moment I switched from just showing my work to being a person that people could see, people could relate to, people could connect with, um, and that's where we go into like what we now understand as personal branding, but in 2017, that was definitely a very new concept. Um, but the moment I switched into being like, here, like, I'm Jenny, this is what I do, this is what I love to create, and just truly shamelessly shared that people started to keep me top of mind when they wanted something to be created and so no matter what platform no matter what medium if you're able to do that if you can be the face of it and you can share with that confidence and not be afraid to say hey you know i know it's 2021 but i just created a youtube channel and i'm going to be reviewing all of this gear because there's so much of it and let me tell everyone about it. You never know if your friend's dad is actually someone who works at Nikon or, yep. you know, what, whatever that is. But people don't know and people don't know how to support you if you don't put that into the world. Yeah, totally. I, th I think and we've talked about this a lot on the show with other guests who not aren't necessarily, quote, influencers, people who aren't necessarily trying to be full time social media personalities it's so important even if you're just a freelance creator or you own a production company it's so important to be active in the community to be a part of uh instagram you know commenting on on things and just like you said i mean you never know just putting something out there about yourself and, and making it more relatable could hook into somebody who happens to work at a talent agency in your area and they stumble across the thing. And that gives you the edge that the other person who doesn't have that presence on social media, um, you know, it just gives you the edge to get hired. And I've heard, I've had people on the show actually who are photographers and they were experimenting with TikTok. And it's kind of like, well, why would you get into TikTok? You're just a photographer. But I had a guy say, like, he literally got a job because some Google employee was just browsing TikTok in the middle of the night and he found like this random viral TikTok of a photography, you know, thing that he posted and then he got hired to shoot a big project with Google and it like those types of things happen all the time. So it's important to just put stuff out there even if you don't want to be a full-time influencer as they call it, you know. A thousand percent. And even, you know, my I have a personal brand that kind of I accidentally created in full honesty, like just as Jenny, like my personal brand was just supposed to be a space so I could have a non photography related space to be on the Internet. Um, but even there where, you know, if you on a surface level looked at what I'm sharing, you don't really see a lot of photography or videography based stuff because I share on my day-to-day -day when I'm on shoots, when I'm creating what the behind the scenes looks like, I'm still top of mind for everyone who is watching that I'm a creator. And that's where that I think is really important and to just, you know, <laughs> have a little bit of that confidence in front of the camera too, or just in showcasing what that journey is for you, even if, um, even as you like open up to the idea of also 
sharing yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, you mentioned Nikon. I see Nikons everywhere. Are you a Nikon shooter? I'm absolutely a Nikon shooter. <laughs> I started with a Nikon when I was 16. There was like a moment when I was like, maybe I'll switch to Canon. Maybe I'll switch to Sony mirrorless. And then I couldn't do it. No, so. stick with what you love. And Nikon's great. I personally was on the Z6 for about six months when it first came out. Um, I love the 10-bit um, recording that you can get out of the HDMI with the in-log feature. I have the Z6 with the Atmos recorder. Yeah. Beautiful. It's beautiful. beautiful. It's a beautiful image. <laughs> and um, a lot of people uh, discount Nikon all the time, but they are they make some of the best lenses. They have some of the best color science, even though they're using Sony sensors in the cameras. It's their own designed uh, color science. So um, it's a unique look for sure. Were you aware of that, that <laughs> they're just using Sony sensors in there? I actually, when you said that, I was like, come again? Yeah, no, so, I didn't. Yeah, Sony licensed their sensors out to everybody. Ex Canon and Sony are the only companies that make sensors that have their own sensor fab in J uh, Japan. So that's why Canon has such a unique look, because they actually make and design their own sensors. But Sony actually licenses it out to, to Nikon, Panasonic, Olympus, Fuji. Everybody uses Sony except for Canon. So, but every even Leica uses Sony sensors now, but they use their own color science that that company designs. So, typically, people say, "Oh, Sony doesn't have great colors." Well, uh, you know, the Nikon team probably has a better interpretation of color than Sony does, or whatever. So that's why their camera looks better, even though it's the exact same sensor in the Z6 as the A7 III or the A7C. Actually, it's the same sensor, but. Um, they won't tell you that, though. That's just a... They don't want to insider, talk about it. Insider information. Yeah, they don't like talking about it, for sure. But I love Nikon. The thing that bugs me about Nikon, though, is the way that it focuses. It's, like, backwards from everybody else. So, it like, if you grow up with it and you're used to it, you don't... You <laughs> Everything else is backwards to Nikon. Yeah, exactly. That Everything. is the world that I live in. <laughs> it is like ridiculous. The, it's like no. people in England who drive on the wrong side of the road. They're like, this is the correct way to drive. It's like, no. No, it's not. Um, well, I guess it is. I, I guess mean, if we're using is. that as a parallel, England is the correct way to drive. No, we're just right. the ones who are wrong. So. I know. We're the ones that are wrong on a lot of things. English in of itself, the way we speak it is is incorrect. Um, so, although I heard recently there was a study that like, uh, I think New England style language is the closest to original Eng English, apparently. I don't remember. But um, the British accent was something that came after america apparently i don't know i don't know for sure look it up look it up on google okay i, I thought i okay. saw that recently <laughs> i was surprised to find that um on your website it does talk about uh published in cbs cbc news later huffington post l vanity fair trusted by your favorite brands entrepreneurs and friends tell me about some of these crazy brands that you've got listed on your site that you've worked with what were some of the coolest projects you've worked on over the years Ooh. okay so i do feel like they're a little mutually exclusive. Um, it is really, really cool to have my work published in some of these places. Um, I think every single time or any time I either get approached or that's a collaboration, I get super, super excited. Um, but I think like the coolest projects that I've worked on are actually almost with the smaller businesses that I've grown with. 
um, and gotten to do bigger pieces for them as their businesses have expanded. Um, so like one of the examples I'll give is there is a woman named Kat Gaskin. She has a product called the Content Planner. It's a physical planner for planning your Instagram content, your content marketing. Oh, cool. And when I, yeah. And I when I I've first that, worked actually. with her, yeah, it's super, super cool. She's a great human being. And when I first worked with her and created her video um, was I think like back in 2017, and you know she had done some really great launches and i think at the time like she was just celebrating coming past like the 10k mark on instagram and having something like i want to say like ten thousand dollars in sales like in her launch and as i have gotten to work with her she has had six figure launches itself like of her business of her brand we've been able to create some really exciting hype videos like um, i've traveled with her now to like california and hawaii to create for her company and that to me is like that that's a story that i think only freelancers growing and like collaborating with other creatives and people like those are the stories that you get to have when you really are in that growth space and so i think that is a huge example of why i love doing what i do and what i get to keep seeing happen like as the years go on i just took a look at her website and the content that she's produced it's really solid i love it this is a really cool idea too uh, a physical planner for content creators that's so cool I love it. I have a friend who did, and he was on this podcast who did something sort of similar for uh, screenwriters. He made it, it's called the story clock notebook, and it's a physical product that helps you create stories and like act one, act two, act three, and all this kind of stuff. So there's totally a, a niche out there for like physical products that are very specialized. Uh, and that's the beauty of the internet is that you can find an audience for this. Like if, 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 Target or Walmart wanted to sell this, they probably would have a hard time selling it. But that's what's so beautiful about yeah. the internet is like this product can exist. You find your community and you find your people and like exactly. that's it. Once you figure that out, you've you've got it. Totally, totally. Um so you you also have a whole nother aspect that we haven't even touched on, and that is online course production. You've talked about uh, the course that you started during kind of the pandemic. Can you talk about your education side as well? And is that something that you recommend even other people who, who maybe are in the freelance space? Should they do their own courses? Have you seen success in that for you? So I've definitely seen success in that, in the sense that without that, like in the year of 2020, my business was still able to be a six figure business. Um, because I introduced that side. Um, without that, I wouldn't. I don't. I don't even know like what I would be doing because we're like we're still in lockdown in Toronto. Um, well, yeah, so, I'm in LA, so it's the same over here too. Yeah. So without that, I definitely know like in the the world that we now live in, um, yeah. it is harder for creatives. Um, and the thing that I also realized is as someone who has this equipment, like I own this equipment now, it took me my years of getting here to have access to be able to film and create all of this stuff. And for most course creators, they actually don't like this is where their biggest investment for them to be able to create a course or create something that's high quality is the actual production of it. So already I have a head start. 
Um, and so for anyone who is interested in the idea of teaching and they feel like they can facilitate um, those conversations or those spaces, I would definitely recommend it. It is a very different part of your creative brain um, because you are also the expert and you're also providing you know answers and solutions and um, teaching it and so it is a different side but I really love it the first one that I did um, was uh, basically a video essentials lab it was going through all of the basics for kind of all these entrepreneurs that were having to create videos for themselves suddenly at home with only their phones or like that camera that they bought for the trip that they wanted to go on. And so it was an entire process of like, how do you do this? What are the things you can think about without getting into the overwhelming side of gear, which a lot of people I find like get stuck on. Um, and that did really well. Like the first time I launched it, I was able to have um, a 10K cash launch, which was amazing um and same for the second time around so i think in terms of being able to put it there and also see like a financial return it's really amazing but um definitely i would say with the disclaimer of needing to be in the online space and knowing that it is different from yeah. your traditional photography videography client side of work yeah totally it's a, a completely different skill to be on camera to design a course um do you have experience speaking or, or doing anything like that building powerpoints and 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 whatnot is that did that help in your course building at all any previous experience um, i have filmed um i want to say like over 200 videos for course creators oh gotcha so a big so part of like my videography yeah wow. i've seen where course creators like stumble over parts what it's like to film the content like how different course creators structure it again if you're in videography and that's any of the work that you do you already have such a huge heads up uh because a lot of people don't even know like what that even looks like or what they should be thinking about so yeah exactly yeah, that was definitely definitely an advantage that I had in my toolkit. There's, I'm noticing Jenny with you. You really are just an entrepreneur, like through and through. Where does that come from? Or do you come from a family of of uh, business owners? I definitely do, but I didn't realize I came from a family of business owners. <laughs> I think until like two years ago. It's just I don't your, know why. it was just your normal for you. You didn't really think anything of it, right? <laughs> Yeah, and um, I say that like my dad is, uh, he has his own business um, that my mom ma like manages and his business is as a track and coach mechanic. So, you know, when you think about photography and videography and, and being a freelance creator and working with trucks, I actually realized there are some <laughs> very similar aspects to it in the <laughs> yeah. fact that it's super physical. You uh -huh. are actually really working with your body when you're working with gear and you're, you know, it is actually like a physical service a lot of the time. And um, also that you really just have to know your stuff and like the tools that you're using. Like one thing my dad would do is in the very beginning, like he didn't have all the expensive tools because he was also, you know, starting his own business. And, um, you know, it looks different. Like for him, his upgrade is like his compressors and welders. And for me, my upgrade is, am I getting the black magic? Like, is it a red that I want to invest in? But at the same time, he still started with what he had. Yeah. Um, and I think that lesson is something that I didn't realize how deep I had in me because I did start 
with what I had. And what I had was a Nikon D5000 that I spent three months working at McDonald's as a 16 year old to earn to get. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, and I, I had a camera for years. And I was like, this is all I got, me and my 50 millimeter that I can afford, and we'll start yeah. from here. The D5000, you say? Yeah, the D5000. Can you believe, uh, I just searched it. It's uh, it's $150 used. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> Don't tell me that. That's great. I spent like easily $1,000. That was months of working at McDonald's. Well, yeah, but that was months. also like years ago, right? When this was new. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, the depreciation on cameras is insane. Um like I, I am a professional gear reviewer, so that's my job. And I kind of cycle through gear every like six months. And it's amazing how <laughs> like just after a year, they're just not relevant anymore on the internet. That doesn't mean that they're not relevant in real life. Like they might, they might lose value, but they're still like that D 5,000 is still just as good today as it was when you first bought it. Like it's still able to take the same photos you took when you first got it. Like it's, uh, cameras are silly because like i think the marketing behind it makes people think like oh you gotta get the newest latest and greatest but uh at the end of the day it's just a sensor and a lens and as long as it's capturing a decent image like you can really make some beautiful stuff with whatever you got and heck even the phones now are insane i've I've been doing a lot of tests with my new uh iphone the 12 pro max and it's blowing me away with how good it is yeah i and i also really believe like it isn't the equipment it's the creator. Like any good creator can take what they have and make some magic or at least push themselves, you know? Oh, absolutely. Even if it's outside your comfort zone. I saw, I, I will say, uh, uh, this is just a silly thing, but there was this YouTuber that um, he posted. It was like all, all YouTubers in 2021 was the title of the video. And it was like a 90 second video. And he like, he walks into a set. He like, turns on the light he pulls up the microphone plugs in the microphone to the mix pre 3 puts his com- his camera on the tripod puts the atomos in focuses the thousand dollar lens you know turns on the three lights with the remote control sits down pulls the sure mic into his face and said i'm here to talk about why gear doesn't matter it was a pretty funny like yeah okay you got us yeah that's fine yeah it doesn't matter but you know it it, it does make a difference it it doesn't matter in that story is always king like casey neistat is the perfect example of this and i think he's really yeah like he used what was it an 80d which for some people that is unobtainable you know it was a 1200 dollars camera at the time but he wasn't using lighting he wasn't that camera wasn't the best camera in the world for him to use like he was using pretty much just basic you know prosumer tools but telling stories at such a high level that that was the unobtainable thing for people was his charisma on camera his storytelling his editing style and those are things that I think a lot of YouTubers especially uh, focus on, if you look at the top YouTubers like Logan Paul, Mr. Beast, I actually interviewed Logan Paul's editor yesterday, and he said that it's it's very intentional. The way that they shoot it is really raw. They don't use color grading. They don't edit like with a ton of motion graphics and crazy things. They intentionally keep everything really relatable so that when you're watching the content, it feels raw 
and the storytelling is really the magic trick of it is the storytelling is at a high level but the quality that it's being shot on is at a lower level and those are things that you can learn with anything and it's really been democratized now to where you can work at mcdonald's and save up your money and buy you know let's just call it like a d5000 for 150 bucks <laughs> or mm-hmm. uh maybe a more modern version of that would be uh, the nikon <laughs> the d750 what's that i think the d72000 i think that's d72000 but then you got the the mirrorless the d7 or what was it the z50 is a dx uh format mirrorless and you can get a full kit for like a thousand bucks uh for that one so I would say if you if you're in the Nikon land, that would be the way to go for Canon. It'd probably be like a 90D or an M6 or something like that. Or even the EOS R now is a lot cheaper. But anyways, I just think it's important for people to remember that content is king and you can use whatever you got at your disposal. However, all of us like nerdy filmmakers love gear and we love buying new stuff. And I love getting a new lens just like everybody else, Sorry, you know. Uh oh. Yeah, and I Siri just went off. Sorry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's okay. Um, the one thing I will say is the difference that I found in being taken seriously or being able to create and with like high grade professional gear is when I am doing it at a commercial level and I wanted to step into that next level of being able to charge at a different rate and offer at a different rate. Um, that's definitely where like I can't be, you know, pulling out a D5000 saying, all right, let's go. Like, <laughs> that's, yeah, exactly. But but if, if that and if that's what you're doing, definitely uh, you're going to have to spend some dollars. And yeah, or, or just rent but. it out and put it in the budget, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, one of the things that we've talked about with other creators on the show is it's important to create the work that you want to create first so that you have a portfolio of, of things to show to other clients. And that may mean that you're doing things for free or you're doing things for, you know, just cost or something to build up a portfolio. Is there anything like that that you did when you were starting out to like get the projects that you actually wanted to ultimately be doing to build that portfolio? so much there's so many things that i did that were either for free or like ridiculously cheap that when i actually look at it i'm like you definitely lost money doing that (laughs) yeah Uh, because you didn't factor in everything that you did for that um i think one of the one of the biggest things that i did and oh my goodness i like shake my head when i think about what i quoted for this project um but i did filming and this was for a course creator i was filming for eight hours every single day for three weeks and yeah and turning that all into like their their course like it was it was just modules and they were doing it live and so everything was being reformatted as like stuff that was going to be on demand and I didn't realize that also that amount of footage um, at the time, like my computer also couldn't handle it. So though everything I got paid basically went towards building out my custom PC that I now use for editing. 
because I had, I think it was like eight terabytes of footage, like by the time we were done. (laughs) And I was like, wait, 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 I got to edit eight terabytes of footage. And also, what was the turnaround time that I thought I was going to get this done What were you, were you shooting in 4K for everything? I was, yeah, I was shooting, they they needed it in 4K and just to be able to, you know, to jump in and like make those cuts, like that's what made sense. Yeah. Totally. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> My buddy um, does fitness videos and he's in that same thing where he shoots on GH5s and uh, he told me he, he he does shoot 1080 with a 4K delivery and he just upreses it because like that exact issue, like he's dealing with yeah. 10 hours of four cameras shooting a fitness video and he's like no i'm not my computer can't handle that i'm sorry you know i will yeah, say like each, the each I, video sorry go on i was just gonna say i will say the new computers the m1 max like they're so good they're so much faster and like i don't know i don't know if you've played with them but they're like they're the new apple Silicon i haven't max. and i i can't allow myself to play with them because yeah. then i will want it <laughs> but these are just the prosumer max like we haven't even got into the pro version of these yet so i would wait it out but what were you going to say about the way you handled that workflow uh yeah that was a mess <laughs> yeah I think, <laughs> I think you can but that's the thing like you can you only learn, learn. Mm-hmm. yeah and now number one will i quote differently absolutely number oh, two yeah. will i also think about you know my storage space and how i'm going to operate and how that actually looks like for my editing workflow now that i've taken on a big project like that yeah. definitely like these are all just questions that i didn't even know i had to think about or ask myself like because when you're starting off with i'm just going to create i'm just going to be a freelancer like i'll just say yes to these clients like you almost get stuck in that cycle that if you're not taking the time to stop and learn and and ask these questions that you're like from the mistakes that you're learning um then you're not going to be able to tackle it the next time so the next time i had a client project that big i knew exactly what i was doing and what the process was and it was so much smoother so you've done what i think a lot of people have dreamed of doing which is you've hired out people to help you you've got your partner um and then you've got two other people it looks like working for double j as well as uh whoever emailed me so like how many people do you have working on your team and then how did you start to begin to that hiring process i think a lot of us get wrapped up in the money aspect of that and it's like oh i don't want to i'll just i'll just do it myself and i'll save the money and i don't have to hire somebody to manage this but it seems you've got a really well-oiled machine over there and i would love for you to talk about the hiring process and how you got to that point where you're like you know what i might make less upfront but this will work out long term where do you like where do you begin to hire people because i think a lot of us are just stuck in the solo shooter editor management world <laughs> yeah well okay well a few things number one um i'm super blessed that i now have a team because I can't even tell, like, I remember, like, I will never forget what it means to be a one-person team (laughs) and how exhausting it is, like, how, how it's, it's a lot. And, um, I think we lie to ourselves because we know that we can do all of it, that we're like, yeah, 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 it's fine. It's, you know, I can't, that's not something I can do right now. And obviously there is a level of risk anytime you hire someone. For me, um... 
it has taken time to build a team that I really trust. And I think that's the biggest thing. Like you have to build a connection with the people that you invite to be on your team. So I actually started out with a lot of um, like doing it as a independent contractor basis um, before deciding like, okay, like I'm ready to now have my team. Um, and the, the one almost like anecdotal experience that I have that I always think back to is the moment I hired someone to handle my inbox and to handle (laughs) my like client inquiries I had in the span of one week like four multi four-figure business bookings because there were emails that I didn't realize I had from client inquiries that just needed to be looked at needed someone to treat them like a VIP, needed someone to like handle the communication. And like within a week, like all four are like booked in the calendar. Here's what our plan is. And wow, I need to get me one of those. Like, <laughs> like you just, I was just like, wow, like, okay. So it was really scary to make this investment of this person, but look at the return. And that return, I think is, it's definitely something you have to have a lot of trust. Um, it's also harder to have that kind of trust if you don't have some sort of a safety blanket. So to me, that safety blanket looked like, okay, you can afford without driving your business into the ground to hire this person for X amount of months that you can see if it's going to be a good choice and make that decision and you will still be okay. Like you're not you're not going to, you know, compromise on your own well-being or your ability to live or your your business's financial health um, by doing that in a way beyond maybe losing a little bit of money. Sure. What's so, what is that position exactly? What do you call that? Like a administrative assistant or like who? what is that position? And how did you even find it? Did you just go on like you didn't go on Craigslist, did you? <laughs> no, I definitely didn't. I created like a custom type form. I put it in all the groups that I knew like creative freelancers were in. Um, and I created like a type form, like application form for it to be a, like admin client manager assistant. And I think that is one of the best investments a creator or a creative can invest in because usually if you're the type of person who is uh, you know, a cinematographer, a creator, you may, I'm, I'm making a general assumption about the creative industry, but a lot of us are not admin focused. A yeah. lot of us don't like the It's a fair, ass- uh, uh, a fair assessment. <laughs> For yeah, sure. like, <laughs> the logistical, we're like, no, listen, let's just create yep. and someone else can do it. And so we don't think about also how much that affects our ability to run an actual business because mm. so much of it is actually admin. So okay so everybody like save up some coin (laughs) and uh and then potentially get an admin first is that your recommendation like as your first hire potentially even even over another shooter or editor even (laughs) well i think that's where it's like okay so do I need this $5,000 lens or do I want this $5,000 lens? And (laughs) if I don't need this $5,000 lens and I can actually use this $5,000 for three months or six months to hire out someone to help me with my admin, could I maybe make $10,000 so then I can get the lens and have an admin? 
Exactly. See, it's a completely yeah. different way of thinking, and it that's that's called wisdom and uh, in, <laughs> and in, uh, <laughs> intellect for sure. So, but for us uh, us gear nerds are definitely always just like, no, I want the lens. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like this lens can do so much. It's actually the new probe lens. Yeah. Oh yeah. The 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 probe lens. The the macro. Yeah. Exactly. You yeah. know what I'm talking about. I need to stop looking at any videos in relation to that macro probe lens because I really. Totally. Um, and so from there, when when did you start even expanding beyond just that hire? And, and you, you have a communications lead, you have a marketing specialist, you've got a, a lead videographer and editor now. And, and then because you have all these different people helping you, what, what is your day to day now? Have you been able to craft essentially a team to do the things you don't enjoy? And now you're basically only doing what you love? Or is there a little bit of just putting out fires being the, the CEO, you know, and stuff I like that? I think it's a little mixture. I think I'm finally getting to the place where I can really focus on the stuff that I love. Mm. Um, what's been really amazing about working with someone who also really knows and understands marketing in terms of not just digital marketing, but like print marketing, multimedia marketing, is it also expands the things that we can create for. And so I think really like looking at whatever industry you're in and who you're creating for, finding the people who can best support you in that is what is really, really amazing because I create for a very digital space. I create for a certain type of entrepreneur or business owner. Um, and I've expanded my team accordingly to also make those clients feel like they're really, really well supported. That, you know, I'm not just creative on my own with all of my ideas without a structure like no there's a system here's why what we're going to create is going to be really um, impactful for whatever campaign you're working on and I think that's where it's been just it's completely changed the game from the business I first had and the business I first had wasn't a business it was side cash like if you really look at it um, it was just me saying yeah to a gig for $75 or $100 um, because a friend asked me to and it's just such a huge shift. It, it goes from being a freelancer making extra money and loving what they're doing to stepping into the role of this is how you run a business and if you want to be in the business of doing this then you also have to I think also let go of forcing um like or sorry I'll, I'll say that again um if you're going to be in like the business of being a creator and in the business of being a photographer and videographer there also needs to be a distinction between who you are as the artist and who you are when you create for other people when you create for clients um and they obviously go hand in hand like you you have the style that you have like you have the way that you approach the world and the way you see content um but what having this team has allowed me to do is I get to be an artist again because I can say, oh, I want to do this project for fun or I want to film this thing for fun because I want to try out this new style and there's no pressure of it impacting now like my client work or like a project that we're working on um, that is what sources the ability to be an artist. Mm. I love that. <laughs> that was great. I I'm gonna use that at the beginning for my little. I'm making a note. That's my little intro. 
um we're coming up to an hour with our conversation can you believe it uh we were paused by a uh by some phone issues but we've we worked it out this this was there was no issues the second time around um can you give us like your closing inspirational thoughts for people like you people women men whoever can relate to where you're coming from just give them some inspirational <laughs> like thoughts or ideas to go out there and just crush it what are some of the things that that really helped you throughout your journey as a creator and as a business owner uh that you can share with with people who relate to where you're coming from um i actually recently read this book uh big magic um by the author of eat pray love say what you will about the author but the book said some things in there that I cannot stop thinking about. And it's this idea, especially for creatives, that it is unfair for us to put so much weight and so much of the burden of life and supporting ourselves and the realities of what the world is on our creativity. And when you put all of those burdens on creativity, it becomes really hard for your creativity to be free and for it to, you know, show up. And so if there is anything that I think I hold on to is trying to do as much as I possibly can to let my creativity just be and to be in that space without external worries and without external, you know, judgment of what everyone else is doing. And it takes active effort to remind yourself to do that. But I think when you can be in that place and really trust that your creativity is what the world needs and that you can continue from that place is where you find whatever success looks like for you. And um, I know firsthand that it's harder when you feel like you don't have the money for the equipment or, you know, you can't afford a team. And, you know, it's great that she's talking about all these things, but like, that's not my reality. And it's not to say that you can just wish yourself out of it or manifest yourself out of it or any of those things. And it does absolutely take so much work and so much grit and so much resilience. But if you can stay connected to your creativity and your trust in your art and how you choose to see the world, I really think that that gets to be a really powerful motivator that it might take you seven years and it, it definitely has taken me like a solid amount of time to get here um but I am here and I want that to be a testament like especially for me like South Asian women don't really end up as creatives you know <laughs> like let alone like what the industry look like our parents are usually like what do you what do you want to do again my dad was like you're gonna be a photographer yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> what do you mean that's a thing um, it's a it's a it's a pretty solid thing um uh, and obviously like i don't want to generalize but you know there there are everyone has their own set of experiences that might make it harder but if you hold on to what you create and and why you do it i think that's just what you have to remember absolutely 
Well, Jenny, thank you so much for coming on the Golden Hour podcast. It was a pleasure to talk to you and get to know how you started your business. And we're excited to see your journey. Everybody go follow Jenny on social media. We'll link everything in the show notes of this podcast. Thank you again, Jenny, for coming on the podcast. It was a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated this conversation. Awesome. I also really enjoy being able to talk with fellow gearheads. So, you know. Oh, heck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. We'll talk soon. Thanks a lot. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed my interview with Ginny J and hopefully you learned something as well. She's an incredible businesswoman and entrepreneur and I picked up a lot of little tips and techniques. I need to get an email assistant just like she has. If you enjoyed the show, let me know on social media at Dave Mays on Twitter or at Dave Mays underscore on Instagram. Again, please subscribe to the new YouTube channel if you haven't already. We've linked that in the show notes below. Again, I'd like to thank Ginny for joining us today. Once again, I'm your host, Dave Mays. This is the Golden Hour Podcast, and we'll see you next Tuesday.